you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 18. And uh, we'll begin to take a look at what the Lord has for us uh, this morning. As we look, and as I was... uh, as I was pouring over the scriptures this week and, and reading it and fighting over it and struggling through it, felt like over and over again the Lord was uh, talking about spiritual vitality. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a call in the world today for vitality in a lot of ways. You know, I think every person is built of... Uh, trinity if you will we are physical emotional and spiritual and there are people who spend a lot of time and a lot of effort working on the physical and they look great look beautiful but if they haven't spent any time with the spiritual then they'll be the best looking person in hell there are people who spend a lot of time on the emotional And those are good things, working out our emotional issues. But there are people who spend a lot of effort focusing on their emotional issues and neglecting the spiritual issues. And what you'll have is the most well-rounded person in hell. But either way, you're not in good shape. The part of us that tends to be most neglected is the part of us that is the most important. And that is our spiritual part, the spirit the part of us that is eternal. And that part is in desperate need of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what saves. Physical can come around and the emotional may need work too. But we can't neglect the spiritual. And this morning as we look at Acts chapter 18, I think one of the things we'll see is is I think four different case studies almost of different issues in regard to spiritual vitality. How to remain effective spiritually. How to be effective spiritually. How to be um, God's man or woman for the moment, at the moment, when the opportunity arises. And as we look at the scriptures, I want to just remind you in John chapter 7, something that Jesus said is a the great feast was ending and he called out to the people in verse 37 he says on the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried out and said if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink and he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of him will flow rivers of living water sometimes there are times when the Lord speaks and we have to wonder what he means This isn't one of those times. Scripture goes on to tell us. This he spoke concerning the Spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus in John chapter 7 is talking about a future blessing. Of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. That is spiritual vitality. John the Baptist, when he was talking and baptizing people, he spoke and he said, There is one coming whose sandals I am not worthy to loose. By the way, in that culture, that was the lowest position of a slave. 
to take off the sandals of the master and wash his feet. I am not worthy to loose his sandals. He will baptize you in fire and the Holy Spirit. Again, looking forward to the ministry of the Messiah, the fact, the purpose in His coming, that He would empower people through His Holy Spirit, that they might attain to spiritual vitality. Jesus, I think, said it like this, I have come to give you life, and life more abundant. That abundant life. That's spiritual vitality. I think he lays out for us in uh, chapter 18 and 19. Let's take a look. Beginning at chapter 18, verse 18. So Paul remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Now he had his hair cut off at Kentria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent. But he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order to strengthen all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. In being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you this morning, and we ask, Lord, that you indeed would grant unto us eyes to see, Lord, that we might make application from your scripture, Lord Jesus, that word that you are sharing that you are laying out before us father we pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place god as we seek to honor you and we lay this time out before you in jesus name amen well we're talking about spiritual vitality and i, I just 
by way of remembrance, I want to remind you what's going on. This is the end of the second missionary journey of Paul, the beginning of the third. So we've already seen Paul, as he's traveled, go through Galatia. Remember, he went to Philippi, the Philippian jailer being in prison. Thessalonica, chased out of town. Berea, those were the ones who were more honorable, who loved to hear the word of God and constantly checking to see if the things that he said was true. Athens, where he spoke at the Areopagus on Mars Hill. Corinth, where he is right now. He's leaving Corinth with a mindset that says, I'm going back to Syria. I'm headed to Antioch, to the church that sent him out. But along the way, God's not quite finished with his journey. And maybe this can help some of you when we talk in terms of staying spiritually uh, invested, vital, the vitality of our life staying focused in that spiritual realm. Look what happens. As Scripture lays out for us in verse 18, it says, So Paul remained a good while, about a year and a half there, and he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila went with them. You'll remember Priscilla and Aquila are the two, the couple he met at a low time in Paul's life when he needed some encouragement. He found some like-minded man and woman married who were also tent makers as he was. They all worked together there in Corinth, and the ministry was founded out from the place where they were working. So as Paul gets up to leave, Priscilla and Aquila look around and they say, you know what, we like what's going on and we like what's happening, we're going to come with you. They just leave. They just pack it up and say, where Paul goes, we're going to go. Now I believe God was moving and working in their life, and they were staying in tune with where God was directing and how God was calling So they closed up shop there after a year and a half in Corinth. And they're going to go on the journey with Paul. Now the scripture lays out for us this little uh, unique uh, story. It says that there he had cut his hair at Kentria for he had taken a vow. And there's a a couple of, of vital things I think that this lays out for us. Paul, what we see in Paul in this first study of spiritual vitality to me... Is his willingness to remain culturally adaptable. What do I mean? Wherever he went, wherever he shared, Paul didn't want his behavior to be that which offended those to whom he was trying to uh, pour out. Where's he headed? Every town, where's he go? Where's he start? He starts in a synagogue, right? He's headed to Jerusalem. He's going to go down there and keep a feast in Jerusalem. We know from reading the book of Romans, he has a heart for the Jewish people, that the Jewish people would believe. So he remains culturally uh, connected with the Jewish people. How does he do that? By making a vow. The vow was simply a way of staying dedicated to the Lord. And at the close of the vow, or when your vow was winding down, you would shave off your hair, burn that on an offering, and that is where he was probably headed to Jerusalem to, to do. He cut his hair initially in Kentria, Kentria is a port city outside of Corinth. As they're getting on the boat, he's making this dedication, preparing his heart as he's headed to Jerusalem. Everybody with me? So he's, he's preparing for the people group he's headed to. He cuts his hair. However that ends up looking, I don't, I don't think it really makes a lot of difference. The idea is he wants to stay adaptable. He wants to be able to reach the people for whom he's going. He's headed toward the Jewish people in Jerusalem. But... 
I don't know if you guys know this, but occasionally when you get on a bus to go somewhere, it stops someplace else maybe you weren't quite ready for. That ever happened to you? Has life ever taken one of those, you know, detours? Nobody's ever had those? The detours of life? Well, there's going to be a detour of life in Paul's life as well. As they leave from Cantria, the scripture tells us that they came to Ephesus. They came to Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a port where many times merchant ships would pull in and offload. And apparently, whatever ship Paul had taken uh, uh, his ticket for to go to Caesarea was making a stop in Ephesus. Remember I told you, part one, looking at spiritual vitality, we see Paul looking ahead to Jerusalem, staying uh, prepared for the people he's going to reach out to, but he finds himself in Ephesus. He's going to be there for a little while, while they're taking care of things with the ship. So instead of wondering what to do, what's the scripture tell us he did? Immediately, the scripture tells us that he came to Ephesus, he left them, so Aquila and Priscilla are going to stay there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So, even though it was a detour, nothing changed in his life. What was his role? What has Jesus given us? If we're going to remain spiritually attuned to what God wants to do in our life, what is our job? To go into all the world making disciples of all men. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them the things which Jesus has commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Paul immediately finds himself in Ephesus, looking around. How do I get something started here in Ephesus? He goes to the synagogue. That's how he always did things. He's always ready, willing to go, to step out, to move, to see what it is that God has for him. He's constantly looking for that opportunity to share. And that desire to constantly be looking and taking those opportunities to share end up really being the, the, the whole emphasis of Paul's ministry. The difference between Paul, you, me, and other people is Paul's willingness, wherever he found himself, to look for that opportunity, to take that opportunity and to share. That is how Paul stayed in a space or in a place of spiritual vitality. The abundant life. Connected to what God was doing in his life. Constantly looking for those opportunities. Staying in those places where he is willing, always, to adapt to what's going on. Listen, it, it, let's grab a hold of that concept a little bit. Let's turn uh, to the right a few pages. We'll come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul, who's trying to straighten out some issues that have begun there in the church at Corinth, lays out for them his heart, his philosophy, if you will, of ministry. He says, For though I am free from all men, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Paul says, I'm not under anybody else's authority. Nobody really has any control over me. But I am willing to set all that aside, to make myself a slave of whomever, if I'll get the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. That is a passion for sharing the truth of who God is with other people. And this is Paul's heart. So he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. 
Now, do you remember Paul's nationality? He is a Jew. So, isn't it interesting that he would begin here? To the Jew, I became as a Jew. He is a Jew. He didn't have to become something he wasn't. He just stays culturally adaptable. He doesn't want to offend people by the things he does, or how he looks, or what he says. If he offends someone, he wants to offend them with the cross of Jesus Christ. Not with his personality. Well, here's a great way to understand that. Cultural adaptability. Here in the United States, maybe it's not frowned upon to have tattoos. In fact, you can have all the tattoos you want. And so you got guys who are fully sleeved, tattoos up to their ears, all down their legs, right? We've seen people like that. But there are certain places in the world where you travel, you will not be able to share a word. Because to those people, you are a devil worshiper. Now, while you may be free, and you may understand the freedom to express yourself in that way where you came from, Paul said, where you're going, that's not going to work. So there were times and places when I went and ministered that I made sure my tattoos were covered up. The preacher's got a tattoo? That can't be possible. Some of you are just now thinking that, huh? i never seen a tattoo on him. Where's he got a tattoo? Well, that's for me to know. And you don't wonder. <laughs> the point is, there were things that were offensive. And I don't want to offend somebody by my freedom in Christ. Are you guys with me? If I offend somebody, I want to offend them with the cross of Christ. They, they're offended because of who Jesus is, praise the Lord. If they're offended because of who I am, that's not so good. i got to stay adaptable to the culture that I am in. There are some places I travel. When I was in Peru, in the jungles of Peru, it is hot. I don't care how hot you think it is here. I don't care that you think you live in a desert. Well, this is not a desert, but you go ahead and think that it is. I don't care how miserable you think it is. Oh, it's so humid. You are crazy. I will take you to Iquitos, Peru, in the middle of the jungle, standing on the shores of the Amazon River. And if the sun breaks through the skies, you will pray for death. Because it is so hot, your gills are starting to grow on the side of your neck, because you feel like you're breathing underwater. But you know what? In order to minister to the people there, I have got to wear long pants and sleeves. Or they won't hear the word I got to say. So I remain culturally relevant. It's not about my freedom or my comfort. It's about what do I need to do to share the word of God. That's Paul's attitude. He's focused on Jerusalem. He's getting ready for a vow he's going to be making there and an opportunity to share. But then he finds himself in Ephesus, goes to the synagogue and starts teaching in the synagogue. Looking for those opportunities where he can sow the seeds of the word of God. That is how we maintain spiritual vitality. We're exercising. But we're not exercising our physical body or our emotional body. We're exercising our spiritual body, our spiritual attitudes. And that's what we see Paul doing. That's what he's doing here. He is willing to adapt whatever's going on around him. I heard a guy one time say, uh, there, there are several studies actually about, about churches that have been, people have tried to start in Alaska. And it's a very difficult place, a very difficult place. You have... Uh, uh, really long winters, <laughs> really long winters, 
lots of, of snow. I actually lived in Alaska for a little better than a year, right? A little better than a year that we were up there. So there's a lot of dark, a lot of drinking, drugs, suicide, perfect place for the gospel. But churches stumble. They stumble. They, they, they don't seem to, to grow and they don't seem to be as effective in Alaska. Well, they did a study and they went to a church in Alaska that was growing and they asked them. They went to them and they said, man, what's going on? What's happening in your church? Because, you know, of course they want to take whatever they're doing and do it everywhere because that's how God works, right? He in those little boxes of how we all do things, right? So, so they're trying to figure it out. Here's what the guys told them. The guy said, well, what happened? How did your church start to grow? You know what they said? Our church started to grow because our pastor turned Alaskan. They say, it wasn't like that when he got here. But he turned Alaskan. He adapted to the culture. And he began to realize that church and ministry is about relationships. And relationships mean we got to spend time with each other. we got to do the stuff we do. When I came to Idaho, it was on a big, shiny Harley. Some of you may remember it. I know I do. <laughs> on a big, shiny Harley. But the next time Pastor Gerald saw me, I had, uh, um, I don't know, camo hat, camo hat flannel shirt, big truck. Big truck. <laughs> so I turned Idaho. The point being, the idea, the concept is, where, where God sends us or where we find ourselves, we want to plug in, become a part of the people around us, and then begin ministering. Ministering isn't about what I can say up front. It's about how do we get together? Where can we meet? What's it, is it, if i got to learn how to fish, I better learn how to fish. If i got to, whatever i got to do so that I can have those conversations, moments, times, in order to minister. It's remaining and staying culturally adaptable but the next thing we see look what's going on with paul so he teaches they ask him to stay it says in verse 20 when they asked him to stay longer with them he would not but he took leave saying i must by all means keep this coming feast in jerusalem but i will return again to you god willing and he sailed from ephesus so aquila and priscilla stay behind so whatever led them to follow him also led them to stop and say, hey, something's going on in Ephesus. Now, these are not little towns, by the way. Corinth, if you remember last time we talked about, Corinth had 300,000 people in it at the time of Paul's visiting. Ephesus had 500,000 people. It is not a small city. If you go to the ruins of Ephesus, I've had the opportunity to be there. It is not a little place. It is a big place. They actually had an outdoor coliseum that held over 20,000 people. So this is a big, big town. And Aquila and Priscilla, I, I believe, responding to the Holy Spirit, they say, we're staying, we'll, we'll be here. And Paul says, I'll get back to you when I come back around, Lord willing, I'll come back. No guarantees, but I'll come back, Lord willing. So look what happens. It says, so when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church. You see that phrase, and gone up. Anytime you see that phrase, especially in the scriptures, in reference to headed toward Jerusalem, that's what it's talking about. He goes to Jerusalem first. He lands in Caesarea. That's the port for Jerusalem. He makes the short journey over to Jerusalem, goes up 
Because everybody always goes up to Jerusalem. And he goes up, he finishes, completes his vow, whatever was wrapped up in the completing of his vow. Ministering to the church there in Jerusalem. That's his fourth of five visits to the church of Jerusalem. Then he goes down to Antioch. When you leave Jerusalem, you go down to wherever you go. Jerusalem is that principal place. So it's always referred to as going up to Jerusalem and down to everywhere else. And that's what we see. He went up, greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. It says, and he stayed, he, after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So the same area that he covered in his first missionary journey, which is the region of Galatia, from which we get the book Galatians, Paul on his third missionary journey goes back through Galatia, works his way up and over, passing through those areas of Europe that he did on his second missionary journey, in an effort to swing back around to Ephesus. So Paul's on his way. Now, while that's all happening, we're going to go back to Aquila and Priscilla, who are in Ephesus, and they meet this really charismatic person uh, on the pages of Scripture. Let's look at verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. Man, this guy had to come with a huge fanfare. Alexandria was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. So he comes from big city. And as he comes from big city, it's also well known for its schools of philosophical thought. It's well known for the schools that would teach men how to be eloquent. In fact, there's a school like that in Ephesus we'll talk about next week. So he's coming to the, to the folks in Ephesus. Now there's not a person who's, who's better qualified to minister to those in Ephesus than Apollos. He's got all the credentials. He's got his degrees, multiple degrees from the schools that he went to. The scripture lays out for us that he was eloquent man. So he was super, really great, speaking very charismatic. People were drawn to him. Remember, Paul is short and ugly. His eyes point two different ways, and people have a hard time connecting with the thoughts that he's thinking. Now, you might think, oh, come on, that's impossible. Are you sure? You ever studied church history? There's this little fellow named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was so bad of a public speaker that they would bring up another fellow after D.L. Moody to explain what D.L. Moody had just said. Yet D.L. Moody founded this incredible move, revival, move of the Spirit of God. God anointed and used him greatly. Why? Because God says in the Word, He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Don't He? The weak things to confound the mighty. He says not many wise, but He didn't say not any. Agreed? Is that Joe? <laughs> Could be. Okay, anyways. So he said, he didn't say not any, he said not many. So the idea is that there are some that God has called. Apollos, one of those guys, man. He was the it. People wanted to hear him. People wanted to see him. People wanted to, to hear what he had to say. So when we look at Apollos and we look at this next section, here's what I want you to see. Apollos understood, even though he has this, this incredible ability to teach, even though he's got this incredible understanding of the scriptures scripture says he was mighty in the scriptures right very eloquent even though he'd been instructed in the way of the lord by the way the definite article before the word way means he's been instructed in the way of jesus christ 
the Christian. He didn't have the whole picture, but he had a part of it. We'll see in a moment. So he had been instructed in the way of Christ. He was fervent in the spirit. That means he was passionate. People liked to come around him, even though he had all that stuff going for him. Even when all those things were happening, even though all that stuff was, was going on, listen, he understood that every man was his teacher. Spiritual vitality. Are you willing to receive from anybody? Well, look, he comes into the synagogue. You read the story. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This guy with all these degrees. I want you to picture it. This guy considered to be super wise, super intelligent, great speaker, has it all together. And there's these two tent makers that are in the meeting in the synagogue when he speaks. And they hear what he says. And they say, wow, you've got most of the picture. But let me tell you, there's a couple of areas where you're, you don't quite have it put together. Apollos was willing to receive. Can you receive from anyone? Can every man be your teacher? Or only certain ones? Because I think the ability to, to maintain, to stay in that place of, of the abundant life and, and living and exercising your spiritual well-being is going to be hinging on the concept that I can receive from anybody. I used to say, Bible college, when I went to Bible college, the first thing they do at Bible college is they stick a needle in your head and they fill it full of air and your head just swells. What The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. So you start to learn, boop, your head grows. The second phase of Bible college is to pop your head. I remember saying during Bible college, big old monstrous head, I can only receive from so-and-so. That's the only teacher that really speaks to me. That is so arrogant, I can't even begin to, to fathom being that dumb. But I remember, I was teaching, we have two Wednesday night services, sorry, one Wednesday night service there in, in California, one Wednesday night service was at 4.30, the next one was at 7. So I just finished the 4.30 service, and some guys were coming up, and we were praying, and, 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 and talking with some of those guys, and one of the guys come up to me, and he and we prayed and we talked for a minute. And he said, you know, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that, man, your prayers are so passionate, so much passion in your prayers. I just wish your preaching was like that. Now, what do we do when somebody says that to us? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We go find somebody who likes us. And then we say to that person who likes us, hey, you're never going to believe what this guy said. And you know what they'll say? Ah, oh, don't listen to them. Why would you do that? Can you receive from anyone? Is it possible? Is there the remotest possibility that God would speak to you through an unlikely source like that? There was this guy named Balaam. You guys remember Balaam? Lord, I want to go. God said, don't go. Balaam said, Lord, I want to go. God said, don't go. Very plain, audible, no question. But Lord, I want to go. Fine. If you're going to do it, do it. So he takes off. But in the middle of his journey and the way where he was going, there was an angel waiting with the sword to lop off his head. And the donkey stopped. And Balaam 
got off that donkey and beat that donkey silly. Until the donkey said, why are you beating me? The really amazing thing about that story is that Balaam's so mad, he starts talking to the donkey. He doesn't say, oh, this is weird, the donkey's talking to me. Nope, he is so mad, he's like, ah, because you're stupid, donkey, stupid donkey, you're supposed to go. And the donkey said, well, what you don't see is there's an angel right there who wants to lop your head off. Why are you pushing this? Why do you want to go? Is it possible to receive from an unlikely source something that God wants you to understand? You ever gone out? I've got a lot of stuff going on today. Things are happening. You go out and you jump in your car. Did that ever happen to you? And you get mad and kick the dog and spit at the cat and yell at the kids to go in their rooms. Is it possible that God is trying to talk to you in unlikely circumstances? Can every man be your teacher? I had to go teach another thing. The one thing about two services is if the first one's bad, you don't get to go hide somewhere and say, oh, I don't have to do that again. No, there's another one coming. So I heard what this brother shared. I prayed about it. And, and I went out and said, God, whatever I got sideways, whatever, wherever my, if my focus is messed up, fix me. Fix me. I had another person call me one time. And, and they called and they said, you know, I had this dream. And I don't really know who I'm supposed to tell this dream to. But I had this dream. I thought I'd call you and, and tell you to it. And you tell me if you think I'm crazy. And so they tell me their dream. And they get to the end of their dream. And they say, I don't really know who that's for or whatever. And I said, well, you know, I'll, 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 I will keep it under advisement, you know. And, and so they get off the phone and I pull over. I'm crying. Because that dream was for me. Can any man be your teacher? Or only certain people? What if they're not very eloquent? What if they're just tent makers? And you have all these degrees and all this knowledge and all this understanding. Can you receive? Can every man be your teacher? I love that about Apollos. Two tent makers say, hey, we need to sit down and talk. There's a few things you don't quite understand. This guy has got, he's had the greatest teachers of all time. But he goes and he sits down. And they straighten him out. They, they fix where his doctrine's off. Now a lot of people about this time go off in two or three tangents about where his doctrine's off. As, as far as I can tell, the Bible doesn't tell us. It just says he didn't quite understand. It doesn't say he got saved. It doesn't say they baptized him. It doesn't say he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him, but now he does. It just said he didn't quite have it all together. And they helped. And he let them. Part two for me is spiritual vitality. Can you let every man be your teacher? Any man. That doesn't mean you just hear what somebody says and you say, well, that must be from God and I think I'll go do it. You've got to be Bereans. What did the Bereans do? They received the word with joy and then they searched the scriptures to see if it was so. Don't discount just because of the source. I have had some crazy things. 
that the people who brought them to me, I would not give responsibility over one of my pigeons. But they brought me God's word for that moment. Be able to be taught. Every man can be your teacher. Well, the third part, the third study for me is the same, is the same section. It's the other two people, Aquila and Priscilla. When we look at Aquila and Priscilla, look what it says. It says, Aquila and Priscilla were at the synagogue. Why? Was it because of something they would receive at the synagogue? The synagogue wasn't the church. Now they're going to read the scriptures and they're going to spend some time on the word. And, and, and of course, that is good and vital, but that, it's not like they were going to church, to the church in Ephesus. They were at the synagogue. I think that there's a whole other reason that they were there. The whole other reason that they were there? So that they could minister to somebody else. Not so that the synagogue could minister to them. A lot of times when we come together for fellowship, there are two mindsets. I am coming to see who will pour into me. Or, I am coming to see who I will pour into. One you'll always be successful at the other's kind of hit and miss. You want to have a successful worship experience? Change your mind. Let God change your heart. You come and you say, I am here not to be served, but to serve. I am looking, I'm going to come with eyes to see that person who needs a hug, that person who needs a, a bit of encouragement, that person to whom I might be able to minister to. You will be 100% successful. I promise you, someone around you right now is hurting. Someone around you right now needs a hug. Someone around you right now needs a touch of the love of God, and you have it to give. Aquila and Priscilla were available for ministry. They just went to serve. They went to figure out how can we give, who can we give to, what can we do. I find it interesting that they just so happened to be there with Apollos. They just happened to be in that place. They just happened to have the answer for the things that Apollos is trying to share about Jesus that he didn't quite understand. They were there to pour into someone else. How'd they do it? Did they do it in such a way that everywhere Apollos went for the rest of his life on the billboard it said, Apollos is speaking today who was supported by Aquila and Priscilla. Was that on there? Do you think anybody knows that Aquila and Priscilla ever straightened them out? Only if Apollos told them. You mean they didn't, they didn't come up in the front of the church and say, wait, 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 everybody quiet, everybody quiet, listen, it's not quite right. Let me explain to you how this is supposed to go. No, what's the scripture say? They took him away privately and they explained it to him. No fanfare. No, no seeking for glory. Just a willingness to pour into somebody else's life with no expectation in return. How did we learn Christ? Did we learn Christ in a selfish way? Is that what we see in Him? Or was Christ other-centered? Was it about meeting the needs of others or was it about meeting His own needs? Then if that's how we learn Christ... How should we be expressing Him? By waiting and expecting others to meet our needs or looking for an opportunity to meet that need in someone else? What happens if everybody does that? 
The same thing that happens in a marriage, if a husband makes a choice to always love his life, his life. Blah, 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 blah. Let's just back it up. When a husband decides to love his wife like Christ loved the church, no matter what. And a wife makes up her mind that no matter what, she's going to respect her husband. What happens in a marriage that does that? No fighting, connection, growing closer, closer to the Lord, closer to one another. God's blessing is on the union. What happens in a church that does that? Same thing. Same thing. But in the church, if we are, have a desire to remain in a place of spiritual vitality, alive in the spirit, then we've got to learn to look for opportunity to minister to somebody else. Not just about me. Not just about what I need. But to find a way to minister to others. What happened as a result of this? Look, it says... <clears throat> And when he desired to cross into Achaia, he's going up into the region of Galatia now, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. Why? For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So Apollos leaves from his meeting with Aquila and Priscilla. He wants to go to the region of Galatia. So what you see is Apollos comes into Ephesus, goes up to Galatia. Paul is in Galatia coming down to Ephesus. And at the same time, they're crossing. They're crossing. And as Apollos goes up there, it says he vigorously refuted. You know what that means in the Greek? Literally, he shut them up. That's what it means. He shared in such a way that the rabbis who were arguing that there's no way Jesus could be the Messiah had no answer. He got the last word. Don't you love an argument when you get the last word? Uh, don't say, oh no, not really, no. What? You keep arguing, why? So you could be the one with the last word. I know how it works. He actually got the last word. He actually shared... Christ with them and they had no answer no answer he brought them to that place where they could not respond so Apollos goes up into Corinth 19 verse 1 and it happened when Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and found some disciples study number 4 spiritual vitality we remember we were culturally adaptable looking for those opportunities in which we might serve in which we might share secondly we understood every man can be my teacher i can receive correction from anywhere if i'm willing to receive from the lord wherever i'm at thirdly we understand that i need to be other centered looking for opportunities to minister to others what's the fourth group the fourth group is here in chapter 19 it says in verse 2 he said to them did you receive the holy spirit when you believed what would make Paul ask that question? You ever wonder? Okay, I want you to kind of picture the, 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 the deal. Here Paul comes back to Ephesus. He's been gone for a while. He comes back into Ephesus. And as he comes in, he meets this group of guys. And he's looking at them. And maybe they're talking about Jesus. And maybe they're sharing a little bit. But they, it's just not quite all together. Something's not lining up with their life and the things that they're saying. So Paul asks a question. Hey, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they respond, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, but Paul has gotten right down to the crux of the matter in one question. How did he do that? By responding to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him. 
The Holy Spirit directed him. The Holy Spirit gave him something to say and he was willing to say it. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit impress in your heart or life, I need to say something and you didn't do it? He ever give you something that just there, just sitting there on your heart like, ah, I need to share, I need to make a stand, I need to say something and we don't do it? Man, it's so important to learn to respond to the Holy Spirit. To respond to what He gives us. It may be that that word I received from a woman who shared her dream with me could have come from another way, but somebody was unwilling to share what it was that God was laying on their heart. We've got to be willing. I shared before, I had a friend one time who sold a polo club in, in Beverly Hills and bought a boat, and he, anyway, he developed what is known today as friendships. But he, he told me this story. He told me of a friend of his who was, who was out one day, and he had just, at the, at the meeting prior, had said, listen, here's what we're going to do, man. I, we don't want to tell God no, no more. The Lord's impressed things on our heart, and we want to be doing the things God's impressed us to do. And everybody at the prayer meeting is like, yes, we need to, and they prayed about it, and they went home. And the next day, he's out on a walk. And he walks by, along the sidewalk, he walks by a mailbox and has this incredible desire in his heart to yell in the mailbox, Jesus loves you. That's ridiculous. There's no way that would ever be of God. What? How could that ever glorify him? That's just dumb. You ever talk yourself out of something God's telling you to do? Nah, nah, would, God would never have me do something like that. That would make me look foolish. Right? God would never make me look foolish. Foolish things to confess. Anyways. He walked by the, the mailbox. Just kept going. But it just weighed heavy on him. And he heard his own words the night before at the prayer meeting that said, You know, if God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to tell him no no more. So he stopped. And he went back to that mailbox looked around lifted it up yelled jesus loves you closed the mailbox took off as fast as he could go and sure enough he didn't even get to the next door before some guy comes running out the house of the one where he just hollered in the mailbox and says hey mister why did you do that oh you gotta be kidding me so the second part of the story god told me to uh yeah, hang, stay here. I need to make a phone call for you. Fellas will come pick you up. He said, Lord, God told me to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. The Lord told me to say in your mailbox, Jesus loves you. He said, well, I got to tell you, I was just sitting in my living room, and I was <clears throat> been having a rough time, been having a rough go of it, and actually been was thinking, contemplating suicide and whether or not, you know, there is a God and he cares about me. And I just called out and said, God, if you're really there, prove it. And about that time, you opened up that mailbox and yelled, Jesus loves you in the mailbox. So in that guy's front yard, he led that man to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And hope eternal. Because he was willing to say what God was asking him to say. Paul might not have felt comfortable looking at these 12 guys he just met. But he was led to say, did you receive a Holy Spirit when you believed? And that brought him right to the crux of the matter. Oh, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, that opens up more opportunities. So what's Paul saying? 
He said to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. What was John's baptism? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, looking for the coming of Messiah. Agreed? Baptized, I need to change my life, I want to be ready for God. God, what do you have for me? But they hadn't found Him yet. They didn't have Him yet. They they were looking for Him, and they knew a little bit here and there, but they, they had never come to faith. They had never come to faith. Look what happens. He, 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 so then he goes. He said to them, into what were you baptized? John's baptism. So Paul said, indeed, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I, I like that. They were baptized. Oh, it's, when you, when you study the Bible, there's a few Greek words that are problematic. One of those is the word baptize. Do you know why? The word baptize is a Greek word, just spoken into English. Are you with me? So what baptizo means is to be immersed in or become a part of. So not really knowing all the time how to translate that, they just speak the word, transliterate it into English. And that becomes the word baptize. From which we get the concept of being immersed in water, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which Jesus Christ very clearly called every one of us to do. So, we have that, but we also have within it that concept. So what do we see here? Here's what I believe you have. A group of men who who really don't have the power to be the life that they're, they're trying to live. Because they've never come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you have Paul explaining to them... How John's baptism prepared them to be baptized into or immersed into the body of Christ. How are we baptized into the body of Christ? We're baptized into the body of Christ through faith. As, as Paul is sharing with them, as he's talking to them about Jesus Christ and who he is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They come into faith and they are immersed or identified with the body of Christ. They become a part of the body of Christ. They got saved. They were also baptized. Why? Because everybody who got saved in the Bible got baptized. Except for one guy who was on the cross. So that can be your excuse. If you have not been baptized, if you're busy on the cross, you get a pass. Otherwise, why not get baptized? Get baptized. I don't understand the big deal. And that's all I have to say about that. But he's immersed. They become a part of the body of Christ. They're baptized in the name. You see that phrase? In the name of the name of Yeshua. Yeshua. That's a name in the Hebrew, in the, in the book of Psalms. That word means salvation. They became part of the body of Christ. They got saved. They were baptized in the name. Jesus said, baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name or three names, it's all the same. Both usages, the word name is singular. It's not about three different people. It's about... Three in one. The Bible calls that the triune God, the Trinity. So, we see them being baptized, coming to faith, giving their lives to Christ, being becoming part of the body of Christ. And then what's Paul do? Paul says, listen, here's what's missing. You guys are wanting to, to live this life that you didn't have the power to live before. But now you do. You came to faith in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is inside of you. But there's one more thing. There's one more thing to, to empower you, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he lays hands on them, and he prayed. 
Scripture says, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit, what's the next phrase? Came upon. A P. Overflowed, empowered, equipped. Look, we've talked about this at length throughout the book of Acts, so feel free to grab some of the tapes from earlier chapters when we dealt with the concept. But let me give you the quick synopsis. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is signified in the scripture by the Greek preposition epi, coming upon, the overflow, the outpouring of power in a believer's life. Those empowerments are described in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. In Romans chapter 12, you have gifts. It's not the same thing. So... If you have questions about that, we can talk about that a little bit later. But the gifts are gifts. God gives everybody gifts. You have gifts. I have gifts. That's not the same thing as 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which is the pneuma. It is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry. So you have gifts, and then you have spirituals. Pneumos. The empowerment of the Spirit to do the things God's asking you to do and utilize the gifts God's given you for His glory. That's how it all comes together. And that's what we see happening in these guys. Spiritual vitality is brought on by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their life. Look, we come to this part of chapter 19. I'm sorry we got to stop because I could go probably for another hour and tell you what happens in the rest of chapter 19 and 20 and 21 and 22. But things are about to just blow up, go off the hook. How do they go? How do they just expand? How do things start happening? You're going to see miracles in chapter 19 that aren't anywhere else in the Bible. You're going to see the outpouring and the outflowing of the Holy Spirit in Ephesus that you haven't seen in any other city like in any other city. But it's all begun because of these 12 guys and Paul reaching out and Aquila and Priscilla fixing Apollos and all these people making a choice that they're going to live a life of spiritual vitality. They're making a choice to stay culturally adaptable, that they're going to look for the, the opportunities to share the truth and to not be offensive based on how they present that truth. They're making a choice that says, I can receive from the Lord from anywhere. They're making the choice that says, wherever I am, I'm going to look for an opportunity to serve somebody else. And they're willing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Bible's very clear. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God won't force you to do anything. You have to let him. You have to choose. What is it the scripture tells us? If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to who? To those who what? Ask. Scripture says you have not because... You ask not. It also says you have not because you ask amiss to spend it on your own lusts. Selfishness. Unwilling to allow God to move and work in our life. If we want to live a life of spiritual vitality, those are choices that we make. Choices that we see in the page of Scripture to say, look, I want to be like these guys. I want to be effective. The revival that pours out in the rest of chapter 19 and the things Paul's got to say in chapter 20, man, they are off the hook. It's unreal. It's awesome. It's incredible. But it starts with that choice. Will I choose to spend as much effort in my life as I would spend on my physical body or on my emotional body will I spend that much 
and my spirit life. I got time to go to the gym. Are you going to the gym for your spirit? Are you hearing the things that God's word has to say? Are you looking for opportunities? Are you taking those, those opportunities? It doesn't make any sense to be the best looking or most well put together person in hell. But it definitely makes sense to have the real relationship and empowerment of Jesus Christ in our life to move forward and do all that God wants to do. The same things we're going to read about in the rest of chapter 19, God wants to do right here through you. Right here. All we got to do is make the decision that we want to be a part of that process as well. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity just to stay in this place, to study your word, to open it, to, to prayerfully find that place in our hearts and lives, God, where, where we can just connect with what you're telling us. God, your word, it's a mirror. It shows me the issues in my life. God, I pray that we would, as a body, be looking for those opportunities, not to not to ruin those opportunities with, with our own attitude or our, our, our desire to show our own freedom. But God, just to be adaptable to the situation and say, I want to be able to be in this place where I can serve, serve people with the word of God. Serve them with the words of Christ. God, I want to be able to hear you from anybody. If it's a donkey... If it's a person, doesn't matter. If they've got a word, I want to be available to hear the word that they have. I want to be looking for an opportunity to minister, to pour into somebody else. And I need, oh, I need to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord God, I pray that we would just receive that which you have for us in this place, God. For you want to do great and awesome things in us and through us, God. Not for our glory, but for yours. And I pray we as men and women would make the choice that we want to be used by you. We want to speak your word. We want to be a tool in the master's hand fit to bring honor and glory to him. Lord, we ask that you would meet us in this place. God, prepare our hearts. Lord, if there be anybody here in a relationship with you or is in need of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment that comes from on high, Lord Jesus. They wouldn't leave without it. We need it. And it's all just a prayer way. God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in and through us as we lay this time out before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in a word of worship. And I just invite you, as we worship, just to... Consider whether the Lord has been speaking to you today and if there's some things that you need to be in prayer about. We'll have prayer counselors up front to pray with you. Just take that moment to see how the Lord would direct you and God bless you as you go in peace.